Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. If you have a Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you do not have a Bible, there are some available back there on the table. Please take one. It would be our privilege to start the new year off with a copy of God's Word in your hand. 1 Corinthians 15. After having established the gospel, in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11, Paul has established the gospel. After establishing the gospel and through his own personal testimony of the resurrected Jesus Christ, Paul is going to move into what appears to us as the foolish claim that there is no resurrection. We're going to see in the scripture this morning. How can you say there is no resurrection? Whether it's doubt or unbelief that had come into the Corinthian church, whether it is in the face of uh, the Jewish leaders and teachers saying that there is no resurrection, somehow this wind has blown into the Corinthian church and now there is this thought that the apostle needs to confront that there is no resurrection. So we established last week before he could do this, He establishes the gospel. And why? Because the resurrection is the key central point of the gospel. Without the resurrection, the gospel and indeed all of Christian faith falls to the floor. Paul has, in so many words, he has the boldness to say to the Corinthian church, maybe not in so many words, John White's summer of the Apostle Paul's insensitivity at times. If Christ has not been raised, then Christianity is pointless. And that's the truth. If there is no resurrection, Paul's going to make his argument. If there's no no resurrection, then this is all. Everything we're doing is utterly foolish. We look around, let's face it, we believe in the resurrection. I pray all of us in the room, maybe you don't, maybe you're here today to hear about the resurrection and to have the gospel planted in your life and God would save you, I pray. But we're all here I hope, firmly believing that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That is the profession of our faith. You you don't become a member of the village church without, do you profess Christ as Savior raised from the dead? Like, we believe that. But everything we're doing is still so strange. Now, if the central point of our faith doesn't exist, everything we're doing here this morning is even more strange. Like, we then, we need to be viewed by the world as a, a strange cult, a weird club. What, what strange beliefs you have. But as we will see, we know from God's word and through historical factual account, Christ has been raised. Paul is going to attack this notion that there is no resurrection. How can you say there is no resurrection? We have seen and noted across our journey in 1 Corinthians that they're a church, a messed up church full of messed up people. Their conduct in the world was not good. Their conduct as Christians in the world was not good. Their conduct as Christians in the church was not good. And now we come to this interesting point. Paul has defined all of these things, talked about all of these things through chapter 14. Into chapter 15, he lays out the gospel 
Interesting, if you remember, we started last week where Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. And what does he have to get to? Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, was buried, raised to life on the third day according to the scriptures, and appeared. He has to get to and appeared. Christ is resurrected. But perhaps all of the struggle that we are seeing in the Corinthian church, perhaps all of the problem is grounded in that there was a false wind of doctrine blowing through the church. There, somebody is saying, Paul literally says, how can you say there is no resurrection? Somebody in the Corinthian church is saying there is no resurrection. That's false doctrine. So Paul is going to, moreover, then teach us about the resurrection. Paul is going to confront and correct this false doctrine in the church. And I am willing to say, perhaps all of the trouble that we see in the Corinthian church existed because they were not believing sound doctrine. <clears throat> God warns in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, Time will come when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. This exists in the world today. Most of your Bible-preaching, Bible-believing, God-fearing, Christ-centered, following churches are not bursting at the seams like churches where doctrine is compromised. Where doctrine is compromised, a, an eloquent speaker in a sharp-dressed suit with a toothy smile can say awesome, charming words and fill that place all the time. But when you start talking the truth from the Word of God, when you confront sin as the Word of God confronts sin, that's not popular, that's not comfortable, and I don't want anything to do with it. And I'm willing to say that as we consider all of the trouble that the Corinthian church has been experiencing, it's because that their doctrine was not sound or solid. 2 Timothy 4 verse 4 goes on to say that people will turn away from listening to the truth. Do you understand? That's not just like, I'll still go to church because it's what we should do. They will turn away from, like I'm not, I'm not going, this fits our generation to a T. It fits all generations. There's nothing new under the sun. If it's all generations, but the reality is we have been turning away from God's word more rapidly recently, or maybe it's just because we are experiencing it now. Perhaps they were always turning away so rapidly. Perhaps from the moment of Christ's resurrection when the guards said, here's some money, say his disciples stole the body, and thus the rumor spread among the Jews to this very day, Matthew chapter 28, Perhaps since that very moment, people were turning away from the truth to hear what their itching ears wanted to hear. It says they will turn away from the truth and wander off into myths, straying from sound doctrine, straying from the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ and the apostles and the prophets and all the scripture handed down from the beginning until the end, straying from God's word is sin. It is problematic and nothing will ruin a church faster. And so now we consider the Corinthian church. Consider where we found them in chapter one. And many of you were not with us when we started this journey well over two years ago now. 
In chapter 1, they're divided because they're following different teachers. Paul literally says to them, is Christ divided? What are you doing? They have sin in the church, open sin that no one wants to do anything with. He says, you, there is a sin among you that even the pagans don't do, and you are arrogant. They don't want to deal with it. Well, why? Well, if my doctrine is not solid, why would I deal with sin? If I don't believe that there's a resurrection, then I'm not convinced there's going to be a second coming. If I'm not convinced there's going to be a second coming, then I'm not convinced that I'm going to stand an eternal judgment. And if I'm not going to stand an eternal judgment, why does it matter if I sin or not? And why does it matter if I do anything about it? Now, if I'm convinced that Christ is raised from the dead, if I'm convinced that he is coming again, if I'm convinced that he will gather all the nations before him as a sheep gathers his flock and he will separate the sheep from the goats and he will send the sheep to his right and the goats to his left off into the eternal fire of flame, if I'm convinced that's going to happen, I'm going to be a little more on point when it comes to sin in my life and in your life. So now we find the Corinthian church a disaster through 14 chapters for us. An absolute disaster. I'm not going to take the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner if I don't believe that Christ rose from the dead. I'm not going to care about how I exercise the gift of the Holy Spirit in my life, and I'm not going to care about what that means for you if I'm not convinced that Christ rose from the dead. Do you understand how pivotal the resurrection is? And what I really hope to drive home, you're like, Pastor, is there a point to this series in 1 Corinthians 15, a series within a series? Yes, it's this. The resurrection is vitally important to our faith. You read the apostles, they are preaching, they are proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like, yeah, they talk about sin and all of those things, but they proclaim first and foremost. Peter, literally, I read it this morning in Acts chapter 2. Peter literally says, let me make known to you this Jesus whom you crucified, God raised from the dead. He didn't even start at sin and how awful and wrong they were. He started at, oh, he's not dead. He's alive. And if he's alive, he's returning. And if he's returning, he will judge. And if he will judge, there is a right side and a wrong side of judgment. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 would you read with me? Let's just read verses 12 through 20. We're going to focus on uh, 12 through 19 today, but 20 is just too good. So 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that he, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Pray with me. God, help us to learn. Help us to understand the resurrection today. 
Father, speak to me as you speak through me, and may your word fall on the ears of those you have gathered here today to encourage them, to convict them, to lead them to repentance, God, and to encourage us to continue on in the life of holiness that you have prepared for us through faith in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Titled the sermon simply, If Christ Has Not Been Raised, it's Paul's argument as we start here, right in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? The resurrection. Before we deal with Paul's argument, let's just examine the biblical fact of the resurrection. I'm not going to read all of the accounts, but I am going to put references on the screen for you to write down and to look up so that you can be familiar with the biblical teachings of Christ's resurrection. First, let's understand this. Jesus Christ is not the first figure in the, new, in the Bible, in the canon of Scripture. The, the youth Sunday school class now knows what that means, the canon of Scripture. And now the adults get to know what that means. It means canon, old Greek and Hebrew word meaning measuring reed, a rule, a guide by which to live. Now we understand why we call it the canon. It's not C-A-N-N-O-N, boom. It's C-A-N-O-N, a guide. The canon of Scripture. We believe in a closed canon of Scripture. Genesis to Revelation, the books contained in the Holy Bible in front of you, 66 of them, 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament. You're like, Pastor, why does that matter? Because there are Bibles that have more books in them. You need to know that God's preserved word is Old and New Testament, 39, 27, 66, Genesis to Revelation. If your Bible table of contents looks different than that, I'd gladly give you a new Bible. Okay, you need that as a foundation. It's imperative. We talked in the Youth Sunday School this morning how God's word, we believe, 2 Timothy tells us, is inspired by God. If you do not believe that the Holy Scriptures in your hand are inspired by God, then, well, then that's going to challenge everything that you read and everything that you talk about and every question that you're asked and every thought that you have. In fact, if you struggle to read your Bible on a daily basis, it may be that deep down inside, you may be wrestling with, did God really inspire this word? That may be something that you're wrestling with. That's for you to figure out. I pray that if that is what you're wrestling with, that God would open up to you his word as his to you. Christ is not the first in the Bible to be resurrected from the dead. There were others brought back from death Prior to Christ, I will list a few of them. First Kings chapter 17, Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. Her son dies, Elijah brings him back to life. Second Kings chapter 4, Elisha, right? Man, thanks Lord for the confusion on Elijah and Elisha and being first and second. Because Elijah... First Kings, Elisha, Second Kings, Elijah, widow of Zarephath's son, Elisha, Shunammite woman's son. Two prophets in a row bring two sons back from the dead. Matthew chapter 9, Christ raises Jairus' daughter, also found in Mark 5. In Luke chapter 7, the widow of Nain, a little town called Nain, this widow has a son who dies and Christ brings that son back to life. Most popular, most pronounced, probably most talked about, John chapter 11, Lazarus, right? This dramatic story. All these other people like have just died. But what happens with Lazarus? Uh, he's been in there four days. The good King James, if you have it in front of you, says, he stinketh. 
He's dead. And we don't want to open. Open the tomb. No, he stinketh. Right? What happens? They open the tomb. What happens? Lazarus. I love the thought, right? We, 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 can, we can think this. I love the thought that it's been said that Christ had to speak his name because he commands such power over the grave. That he couldn't just say to the dead come forth because too many bodies would have come walking out of too many tombs. I like that thought. That's a picture. Let's not get carried away. Christ raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus was dead. Lazarus, come forth. And he came out, unwrap him. So people have come back from the dead. What have people not come back from? Nobody's come back from the crucifixion. Remember the crucifixion. Remember the gospel, that Christ died. How did he die? The crucifixion. Nobody's come back from that. Science has estimated that by the time he died, his body may have, if he was lucky, weighed 70 pounds, maybe. Like an average male, I'm going to take a guess back then, probably was, I'm going to say, maybe 150 at least, right? People of that culture are slightly smaller than us. They live a different life than us. They eat healthier than us. Still, to be only 70 pounds as a 30-something-year-old man dying and bleeding all of your blood out on the cross... Thorns into the skull. Anybody ever had their skull punctured by anything? Like, I mean, like skull punctured, right? Shoved it in there. No, you haven't because when sharp things hit our skull, what happens? God made the skull to protect it. So, like, a pin kind of like glances off the skull. Sure, we could puncture it with sharp things. Let's not continue talking about it. When they shoved that crown of thorns onto his head, those thorns went down along the side, gouging through the skin of his scalp along his skull. And they pounded nails into his wrists, not the hand, the wrist, the feet, whipped him. At the end of it all, they stabbed him with a spear, having been already dead and fulfilling prophecy that not a bone of his body should be broken. Like, there's nothing left of the physical man, Jesus Christ, to even see. Crucified. And what's more, the Bible tells us that there were disciples watching it. They stood there. The mother of Jesus stood there. Moms, how hard is it for you when a baby has a cold? Dads, how hard is it when your babies are throwing up? And Mary stands and watches all of this happen to her son. John watches all this happen to his Lord, the Messiah, the Son of God. That's not coming back from no dead. There's nothing left to come back. What does it say? They took him down. We explored last week. He was buried. Took him down, placed him in a new tomb that no one had ever been buried in, buried him, sealed the tomb with a heavy stone. The Bible tells us that guards were stationed no one's coming back from that. Like, it's great that you say that Jairus' daughter had died and everything, but, I mean, we don't necessarily really know. Like, people were pretty convinced she was dead, but how do we know she didn't, like, pass out or black out? Or, I, I don't know, like, maybe, I don't know. Nobody's coming back from crucifixion dead. You're not coming back. Do you understand the impossibility of coming back from this? This is why it is so central to our faith. It is a miracle of God. Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ foretold by Christ himself. The references are going to be on the screen. Would you look at a couple of them with me really quick? Let's go to Matthew. I just, I want us to see Christ's words on the topic. 
We're going to, go to, we're going to look at Matthew, and then after that, we're going to go to John. Matthew chapter 20, I think it is. Yeah. I'm going to do the fancy, like, hold two spots at one time and find John chapter 10 as well. Matthew 20 and John 10. Look what Christ says, the words of Christ concerning the resurrection. Matthew chapter 20, verse 17. And Jesus, and as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. He says it there in Matthew. You can read it in Mark chapter 10. You can read it in Luke chapter 18. But let's go to John chapter 10. Because I think that it's extremely important for us to understand that while we are talking about God raising Christ from the dead, I don't want us to forget that Jesus Christ is God. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the physical body, the man Jesus Christ. God raised him from the dead. But look at John chapter 10. I love all of John chapter 10. If you're looking for something to read this week, you don't have anything to do, read John 10. Man, is it good. John chapter 10, the 17th verse. Christ is talking about being the good shepherd. I know my sheep, my sheep know me, I call them by name, they follow me. He says in verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. What's he saying? There are are non-Jews that are my sheep that I'm going to get and bring them in here. Like, this is good news for us non-Jew people in the room. Verse 17, for this reason, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Verse 18, saying it twice, so let's really pay attention to Christ saying the same thing two times in a row. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. I want us to understand, why did you enunciate those words so carefully, Pastor? Because if you don't believe that Jesus went to the cross willingly, you are missing the truth and the reality of the gospel. Jesus Christ was not sent by God. He came as God to die for his people. This is a point being challenged in mass right now in the world. I don't know, Christ. It seems to me that Jesus did what God the Father wanted him to do. No, no, no. What did Isaiah say when he prophesied 700 years before the death of Christ? It pleased God to crush him. Why was he crushed? Because the eternal Son of God, in not incarnate, the eternal Son of God before the man Jesus Christ in eternity past said, I will do that. I will die for my people. God did not kill Christ. Man physically killed Christ. Christ, the embodied eternal Son of God, allowed himself 
to be killed for his people. This is a major doctrinal point. Major. And we must wrestle it down. God did not say, you go die. Okay, Lord, I'll do that. No, the eternal son of God said, I will do that. And right here, for this reason the father loves me because I lay down my life for my sheep that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. Christ on the resurrection. All of the Gospels record different aspects. You can find your way back to 1 Corinthians 15. All of the Gospels record different aspects of Jesus' life and ministry. And if you've read the Bible for any length of time, you're aware that some of the Gospels say pretty close to the exact same thing, and some of the Gospels don't say the same thing at all. So what's the deal here with like, uh, did you know that each of the Gospels record Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and physical appearing afterwards? They're on the screen, I'm pretty sure. Uh, proof of the resurrection, when I put that? Yeah, Christ tells of his resurrection, that's it, the gospel's in the resurrection. Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John 20, each gospel having near identical accounts. And it wasn't like they all got in a room and, well, what are you writing? What are you writing? What are you writing? No, they're written over a period of time. Why? Because God moved man by the Holy Spirit, wrote as they heard from God, recording and accounting what had happened. The resurrection, this is what we're talking about. You must understand the foundation of Paul's argument when he says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? Now someone might say to you, what is the resurrection? Now you have a biblical footing to discuss that. This is the resurrection. That Christ died this terrible, awful, bloody, murderous death, an execution death, and he was raised again on the third day and appeared. If Christ is proclaimed, Paul says, as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection? It appears there's doubt in the Corinthian church. Again, whether wind of teaching, whether false doctrine, whether Jewish leaders influencing new Christians, something had swept its way into the church that was causing them to doubt the resurrection. Paul laid the foundation for his argument, summarized in verses 3 through 8. I deliver to you as of first importance. Christ died according to the scripture for our sins, buried, verse 4, raised on the third day, verse 4, and that he appeared, verse 5, and to whom he appeared. He has the basis of his argument laid. This is why he says in verse 11, where we ended last week, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. What are we preaching? The resurrection. So we preach the resurrection and so you believe the resurrection. Now, if it's proclaimed, as Paul has laid his argument here, as fact, this is not the apostle saying, it has been rumored, it is said, maybe it happened. This is Paul saying, I saw Christ. Christ appeared to me. This is an eyewitness saying, I have seen him. And not only me, but he appeared to Peter, and then to the 12, and then to more than 500 over a period of 40 days, the Bible tells us. He's laying his very strong argument that Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, and this is what we have preached. So we preach the resurrection, and so you believe. Now, if all of this fact, verse 12, if all of this is established, 
Christ is proclaimed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Okay, so one, how can we say there's no resurrection of the dead? Because what do we say? We say that there's no resurrection of the dead. People in mass don't believe that Christ came back from the dead. That, that can't happen. Nobody comes back from the dead. We believe it how? Faith. We believe on the basis of faith alone. What is faith? Faith is the evidence of things unseen, the conviction of things hoped for. I don't have to see Christ to know that he came out of the grave. Through faith, I believe Christ came out of the grave. That's how we believe. How do the Corinthians believe? By faith. They took it on faith that Christ came. Paul preached, they believed. How did Paul take it? I saw him. He appeared to me. So now we have the weight of Paul's argument coming to us in our own lives. There's no way that anybody rose from the dead. Dude, this is an eyewitness to it. What are you saying? No one could have done it. Paul says, I have seen him. And he testifies to those who saw him. And he testifies, other apostles write and testify to those who saw the risen Christ. But you say, how can you say? Boy, I pray that nobody here is questioning the resurrection. And I pray that if you are here questioning the resurrection, that the Bible will help you in that. And I pray that if you're here never having considered the resurrection and its vital importance, that you will walk out of here thinking, I need to talk about the resurrection a lot more in my faith. Christ was raised. Paul challenges them. Based on all of this fact, how can you say there is no resurrection? Then he moves on. If there is no resurrection, let's consider the ramifications. Right? We've already agreed in this room this morning, if there's no resurrection, let's just go home and have lunch. I've got a roast in the crock pot. It's going to be delicious by the time I get there. And if there's no resurrection, all of my preaching, as Paul says, is absolutely in vain. I see that no one got up to leave because the resurrection happened. And we here are either convinced of it or we are at least looking at it and saying, yeah, yeah, I, I believe so. I'm convicted enough to sit here and continue listening. Paul goes on to talk about if there was no resurrection. He says it right in verse 13. If there is no resurrection of the dead, and then look at the points that he makes. <clears throat> if there's no resurrection of the dead then Christ has not been raised. Imagine in this very first question, why, Corinthians, would I have lived with you for so long? Why would I have written such a long letter to you if I was not convinced that Christ has raised from the dead? If Christ has not been raised from the dead, all of my work and all of my labor for you, Corinthian church, is absolutely pointless. But he goes on. If, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Point one, where we could just be done. Verse two, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. The gospel, in vain. Your faith is in vain. I mean, how, show of hands, how many of you sit around and just do absolutely pointless, worthless things all the time for no reason, other than it just seems like it's what you should be doing? Like, not many of us. My son is one of them. I'm, I'm with you, right? We don't do that. You don't go to school and say, this is pointless, has no purpose whatsoever. There's no reason. You don't go to work saying, this is so pointless. I'm not. But we come to church and if Christ hasn't been raised, what we are doing is pointless. 
what I'm trying to get you to understand is that the resurrection alone is proof that it happened because we're all here listening to God's word about the resurrection. Why preach? Why have faith in something if it didn't happen? Well, this is the question that lost sinners are asking. I don't believe that happened. Well, well, that's why you don't believe in Christ, though I, I get it. Like, first you have to believe that Christ was raised from the dead. You understand this is the basis for our confession. We profess Christ as Lord and what? Believe that God raised him from the dead and what happens? You are saved. It starts right there. People that don't hold to that, their faith is in vain. Their faith is in nothing. He says in verse 13, if, if the resurrection of the dead has not happened, if there is no resurrection, verse 13, Christ has not been raised. Verse 14, our preaching and your faith are in vain. I just, it pulled me back to Ecclesiastes. We spent all of 2021 basically in Ecclesiastes, right? Your, your faith and my preaching are vanity. This is how Solomon would say this. Without the resurrection, your faith and my preaching are vanity. Vanity, a striving after wind. That's Christianity without the resurrection. He goes on, verse 15, we misrepresent God Right? Because Paul believed in God before he believed in the resurrected Christ, didn't he? Because Paul was persecuting the church of Christ because of how much he loved God before he encountered the resurrected Christ. So now Paul's concerned with if Christ hasn't been raised, then perhaps all of my Judaism is correct, and now I'm misrepresenting God, and I'm going to be in trouble for lying against God. If Christ hasn't been raised, we misrepresent God, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. Verse 17 Man, this one's hard. Without the resurrection, there is no forgiveness of sin, and our faith does not save. People ask all the time, I just want proof that God is real. Can you just prove to me? I can, but I can only prove it for me because I know my sinful past, and I know the freedom that I have from it, and I know that I couldn't do it, and I know that the Bible says through faith in Christ, God can do it. So, for me, there's no question of the resurrection being if and or maybe. It happened because I'm free from not only the wages of sin, but from various actual sins in my life. Praise God. Without the resurrection, we find no forgiveness of sin because our faith is futile. As he makes that point twice, you understand, preaching and faith, right? Why? Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ, and the word of Christ needs to be the word of God spoken to people who are not saved. That's how we are saved. Faith must be, faith is brought about through the preaching of God's word. He says, our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain, and now he says, you have no forgiveness of your sin, you're still in your sin, because your faith is in vain, right? Because how are we justified? Through faith and nothing else. But if Christ is not raised, we have nothing to have faith in. So you can't go back to, I'm justified through faith and saved by grace according to God's mercy, because there's nothing to have faith in without the resurrection. We find no forgiveness. We have no forgiveness of sin because our faith is futile. Verse 18, even worse, those who died with hope in Christ are just dead. I, I've done two funerals this past year. Both of them were believers. Thank you, Lord. There was hope at those funerals. There was hope at those funerals because both people who passed away had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. I've done plenty of funerals for people who have had no faith in Jesus Christ. And there is no hope. 
And there is nothing comfortable about those funerals whatsoever. From the moment you walk in and say hello to the family to the time that you leave, it's dreadful every second. It's dreadful for people without faith in Christ because they are dead and they are awaiting eternal punishment. Now consider those who live their life with faith in Jesus Christ and die to find out that there's no resurrection. They're dead. Those who have fallen asleep have perished. They're gone without any hope whatsoever. No hope of eternity whatsoever. In verse 19, Paul makes, and I like how this is his last point. He works himself to the the weakest, let's care least about this, but it's also a very important point of scripture. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, we are, without question, leading the most miserable lives possible. Think of all of the pleasures you've forsaken because of Christ. Think of all of the time wasted going to church and reading your Bible and singing songs and praying. An absolute waste if Christ has not been raised. If Christ, in this life, we have hope in Christ only, we are most of all to be pitied. The sacrifices made, the pleasures denied, what a sham without the resurrection. Matthew Henry in his commentary wrote, better be anything than a Christian upon these terms without the resurrection. Like, let's just go, let's just go and live to the ultimate degree of selfishness that we want because Christ isn't raised and none of it matters. Do you, do you see the glaring difference now if we were to hold up Christians and the world, right? The vast glaring difference between Christians and the world, what is it? It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's all it is. But for, Paul says earlier in 15, he literally says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but it sure was if there's no resurrection. But there is a resurrection. All of Christian doctrine and practice hangs on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every promise of God to those saved through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, every promise of God to Christians flows, is fulfilled, hangs on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Christ is not raised, we have to look at the other side. If Christ is not raised, we have no Messiah yet. So were Jews, because Christ hasn't even come for them. So he hasn't been raised. When he comes, he will be raised, but he hasn't come yet, so no Messiah. If Christ has not been raised, we have no Messiah yet, and we're still waiting. Or we have some other Messiah that we've made up. Right, so do you see how quickly we can diverge from Christianity without the resurrection? Christ hasn't been raised from the dead because Christ wasn't the Son of God. Ouch. Okay, Christ may be the son of God, and maybe Jesus was a good man, and I don't know, and all that stuff, and he died, but he didn't rise again from the dead. There's no resurrection. If there's no resurrection, then we have no Savior. We have to turn to something else. Why? Because man has an absolute inward pull to fulfill something that can only be fulfilled by God through faith in Jesus Christ. We cannot find fulfillment in anything else that we want. If Christ has not been raised, the Bible is full of error, and God is a liar. 
This is the implication of no resurrection. We believe, and I profess, and as a church we have in our foundational, as a covenant of membership we have, the Bible is free of error. God is not a liar. Like this is, this is a tenant that the world doesn't like to face down. The Bible is inerrant. It is infallible. It is free of error. God does not lie or change. If there's no resurrection, he does. If there's no resurrection, man, do you get it? Do you get it? It all falls apart. Can you imagine? I just want you to think about this for one second. It's 2022. Happy New Year. Even if we say that Jesus was born in zero and lived 33 years to 33 AD, it's still been just about 2,000 years. Do you understand? Have you ever considered how quickly Christianity would have died if there had been no resurrection from the dead? 2022, and here's some wacko pastor from a cornfield talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thanks, Lord. Oh, wow. It stems from the word and the thought that Christ has been raised. People want proof all the time. They want proof all the time for the existence of God, the reality of Jesus. The resurrection itself today still proving. It's all true. It's all real. If it weren't, we wouldn't be here doing this. We wouldn't be here talking about it. Paul spent his life in chains for the testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Only one disciple continued on to be an apostle, John, and you can find out about his mistreatment in the annals of history. He's the only one that died a semi-peaceful life after having been exiled to a leper colony. Every other apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ gave their life for the testimony of Jesus. No, if there is no resurrection, we wouldn't be doing this today. There's no telling where we would be, but we wouldn't be doing this. How can we apply it? First, the gospel of Jesus Christ without the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christian, write that down somewhere and commit it to memory. The gospel of Jesus Christ without the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Second, the gospel preached without the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an incomplete gospel. I had to say this, you know why? Because I'm afraid that I've probably preached the gospel and left the resurrection out. I'm a, I'm a weak, feeble-minded human. And when you're talking in front of people and your thoughts are everywhere, microphones take a junk and you lose your place and all of a sudden you realize you moved on, you forgot the most important thing. You didn't get to the most important thing. Everything you said was good. It was all right. It was all true. And you left the resurrection off. It's incomplete. Now, I want you to see the two differences between point one and point two. The gospel of Jesus Christ without the resurrection is not the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ preached without the resurrection is incomplete. If you have believed anything less than the resurrection of Jesus Christ, let the Holy Spirit speak to you right now. If you have believed anything less than the resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
you have believed in vain. You have believed some other gospel. You have heard an incomplete gospel. If you have believed anything less than the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then Paul's description of this miserable life that we would live without it, that is your reality. If you have believed anything less than the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Paul's description of this miserable life apart from it is your reality. Pastor, I'm not sure if I've, I'm not sure if I've fully believed in the resurrection of Jesus. I think I've been skeptical. I think I've, I think I've had doubt as far as the resurrection is concerned. What, what do I do? How can, is there help for me? Yes. The simplest and most foundational biblical help in existence. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scripture and appeared. Do you believe this? Next week, we will begin taking a closer look at more doctrines surrounding the resurrection and I believe more correction to the Corinthian church. For now, let's pray. We'll sing one song responding to the word this morning and then we can go on with the rest of our day. Heavenly Father, we come to you today thankful God, for your word, thankful, Heavenly Father, for the resurrection, for the power with which Christ came out of the grave, thankful that the same power that brought Christ out of the grave lives in us. Thank you, God. Father, we thank you for your word. May it boost our faith. God, may we endeavor to understand what your word says and not just read it to enjoy it, but to understand the resurrection is so vital. God, forgive us for moments when we turn away from such foundational truths because there's some other rabbit trail we would rather follow outside of Christ died, was buried, and rose on the third day and appeared. God, help the, help the gospel to remain foundational and help our proclamation of the resurrected Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Father, help it to call sinners to repentance that you may save them and help it to focus our eyes on if there is a resurrection, there will be a return. And if there is a return, we will be taken that we may always be where you are. Praise you, God. We thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.